millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is it. The time has come. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Gareth A. Davies. You're better than that! On Talk Sport. You're listening to the Fight Night podcast with me, Gareth A. Davis. I'm with Spencer Oliver this week. Uh, we have a packed show for you. We've got Frank Warren, Eddie Hearn. We discuss Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. making his comeback. We have Dan Rayfield joining us from America and David Diamante, who's over here for the Matchroom shows. Chris Eubank Jr. catches up with us. He's training at the moment on the Pensacola farm of Roy Jones Jr. And Ebony Bridges, the Australian boxer, joins us. What a fascinating life she has had. But first of all, we tuned in for Andy Clark's commentary on Joe Joyce's return to the ring for the first time in almost a year. He's being punished by Joyce who steps into a southpaw stance and drives him back into the neutral corner just to our left and down he goes again here Wallace onto a knee he has a glance at the corner the referee takes up the count He's got to seven, he needs to rise on eight if he's going to beat it, he just about does that. The referee takes those gloves, wipes them off on his pristine British boxing board of control shirt. But Wallace, I don't think it's long for this fight. I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd sat out there, but again, the guard is up. Again, he's been driven back into the ropes on the left-hand side, he's stooped over. There's nothing coming back in the opposite direction of any great note, big right hand over the top. And the referee has weighed this one off, a left hand into the body. Ian John Lewis has a good look at Michael Wallace and he waves this one over and there are no complaints there from the German. Great stuff from Joe Joyce uh, to get back into the winning frame and set up that date on October the 24th. But he must wait, of course, for Daniel Dubois to face the German Eric Pfeiffer on another Queensbury promotion show on August the 29th. We caught up with Frank Warren straight after that show and he gave us his assessment of Joe Joyce's performance on the night and how much he's looking forward to getting his two massive heavyweights together. I thought he'd done well. He got the rust out of his system and uh, and he's, he's, you know, he... First round, he got clipped a few times. Mm. 
a lack of the head movement there, but he got himself back together. And, uh, you know, I thought he worked very well. Good body shots and stops a, you know, a guy who's uh, normally pretty durable. He showed a fantastic... He's got this ability, because of his granite chin, to, to go fearless early on. And I thought he was much more dexterous in that second round, swaying from the waist, timing his head away from it. And, you know, he, I thought it was good work from him. And he could have finished Wallish virtually at the end of the second. And he, he now equals what Tony Yoka did to the guy, this old foe who I'm sure... If Joe wins a world title and beats your other guy, Daniel Dubois, you'll be matching up with Joker at some point as well for that rematch. Well, that that that, that obviously would be a, 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 a fight everybody would like to see. I thought um, that Joe beat him in the Olympic Games, and uh, unfortunately, that weren't to be the judges' day. It's Joker, but correct. But he but he'd done well. He got, you know, when you look at when you look at. You know, for guys, especially heavyweights, to be out of the ring, especially this lockdown situation, which is very unusual. You know, not being able to, uh, you know, do the work you'd probably like to do, get to the gym as, as you'd like to have done. He come in, was it a stone oak, stone heavier than he normally does? But got the job done. You know, mentally, I'm sure he's come out there now feeling much better than going straight into a fight with Daniel. And we got to hope that Daniel does the same thing because the guy he fought, or he's fighting Pfeiffer, he's. Uh, Pfeiffer beat Tony Oka twice in the um, in in the uh, um, what is it the WPB series? Yeah, in the WBP series. But also, he, he was at the London Games mm. and the Tokyo and the Rio Games. I saw him at both, and he's he's a decent operator, a very tough guy. Spencer wants to come in, Frank. Frank, I, I was going to ask what was the what was the reason for taking such a gamble for Daniel Dubois in a warm up fight under the circumstances we've been in, what we've been through with lockdown and stuff. That maybe the training, like Joe said, there he couldn't do the training that he would like to have done, and you could see that a little bit at the beginning of his performance. He was getting caught by silly right hands and stuff. Now, that's a dangerous fight for Daniel Dubois. Is that just purely that he's just got that confidence and he wants a tough test before boxing Joyce? I mean, what's the reason behind taking such a difficult, such a potential banana skin? Well, I spoke to Mark about, excuse me, he's trainer quite a bit about it. And obviously we spoke to Daniel. And uh, Daniel is not fighting to the 29th, so he's got another month. So he's got another month to get into better condition. He, is. he lives fairly well as well. You know, you know yourself, he's, he, he's not like a playboy. He's not out and about. And he doesn't, you know, he's not put masses of weight on. But it is a tough fight for him. But it's, it's the fight he wanted. And the, the other reason was we've got this problem of actually getting guys in the country because at the time we made the matches, there was this 14-day um, uh, lockdown situation over here. You know, when people come in, that to go into isolation. And Germany's one of the better countries that, uh, as far as bringing, you know, bringing people in from abroad, was one of the better countries to bring them in from. I mean, for example, if bringing somebody in from Spain now, we'd probably be in trouble. So mm. that, that was the logic behind it. But, but as you say, Spence, it is a tough fight for him. But, you know, he's, he's a very confident young guy and he's, and he's got tremendous self-belief, as Joe's got. So hopefully he will come through this fight. I mean, you know, one half of it's done. So, um, 
he does the business, then we, we set up a fight, which I think is going to be tremendous. Well, I think it's a good learning fight for him. As we say, Pfeiffer is a two-time Olympian. He's un, un, undefeated. He's won two bronze medals in the World Amateurs. Um, it, it's, it's a proper test. And, and Martin Bowers, who, who's over... The Bowers brothers who are overseeing his career uh, from the Peacock Gym in terms of training him, they'll be happy with this fight. We've just been watching replays of Daniel's very short right hand that literally puts people to sleep, um, you know, in an instant. Mm. What what worried me for Joe Joyce tonight, Frank, is that he's going to have to be on his metal early in that fight and not be hit by those short right hands because he was clipped several times by the German, maybe four or five times in the first round there. He's got to guard against this. Forget this Cuban Latin style and capoeira in the ring and all that. He's got to watch Dubois. I mean, you've got, you've got interests in both men. Whatever happens, you're a winner in many ways, you know. Um, um, it's harder for Joe Joyce if he loses because he's 35 in September. But he's clearly got to guard against that right hand of Daniel Dubois early on. Well, you know, Daniel's right hand is a, is a potent weapon. There's no doubt about it. But he's also shown in his last few fights, certainly in the fight against uh, Nathan Gorman, that he's got a tremendous jab. So, you know, we know that he's, he's a big guy, but so is Joe, a big fella. Joe's got fast hands. You know, I, I don't see I don't see a lot of science to start with in this fight. I, I, you know, if, if you, you look at if you, if you were going to fight Daniel Dubois, what, you, what you're going to do? You're going to try and negate what he's got, which is a good jab and that long right hand. So you're going to jump on him. Mm. And Joe throws good shots inside. He throws. We well, stopped the guy, didn't he? As you see with body shots. Mm. So that's that's what I would think his tactics would be. I don't think all this stuff about that he's going to go out there and. It, try and get it past five or six rounds and then, then put it on him. I don't think he'll do that. I think he's going to come out and try and put it, put you know, and take the fight straight to Daniel. But Daniel, you know, he's very much aware. He's, he's, he's had tremendous sparring as much as uh, Joe's had that, that, that you know, fantastic experience as, uh, as an amateur, all the, all the differences, as you mentioned, Gareth, he's done. Daniel's been sparring with everybody, all the top guys. And in fact, he's, he sparred with Pfeiffer when he was 16. Yeah, oh. I, I, spoke, I actually spoke to Martin Bowers about Daniel and how, his progress, how he's been in lockdown, how he's just started training camp actually for his next fight. But Martin said that he's just an improving, he's just an improving fighter. He's improving all the time. Now, do you think, Frank, this um, th- uh, this could be a good point actually? Do you think that? Daniel Dubois is only 22 years of age. He's a work in progress. He's improving all the time. He looks unbelievable. Every time I see him, he looks so much better. Do you think Joe Joyce now is sort of the finished article? What you see is what you get. He is 35 years of age now. And, you know, that could be the difference between the two. Youth could beat um, the experience in this one. Well, that, that, you know, that's a really, really valid point, Spence. You know, you, 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 you sort of look at guys and think, well, what can they do different? What's, what can he do to him? He can come in lighter, which might make him a bit, bit, bit you know, make, make him a bit more mobile. Although he was mobile, he did get caught. Won a lot of head movement, but his footwork was okay. Um, I don't think Joe's gonna, you know, I don't think you see any dramatic improvement. Whereas, you know, with a young guy like Daniel Dubois, he's got the capability of learning more. You know, again, as you said, um, it, it's, it's. Look, with, with Daniel, he's, he's, a, he's a, all he lives for is boxing. It's 24-7 boxing. He doesn't even know there's a lockdown. You know, that's the mentality that he does. He's, in, he's, just, he's just focused on he wants to become a world champion. And he's not, you know, he's not out there. He's not a boastful guy. He doesn't, you know, 
you know, spout his mouth, doing what a lot of guys do. Mm. He's he's he does all his talking in the in the ring, and he's just so confident in himself. He's so confident, and he really, really fancies the job against Joe. I think it's a real tough fight. I think his next fight's a tough fight, by the way. You know, you don't see a lot of fellas, certainly, who've had, I think, what do you have, seven senior bouts as an amateur being stepped up like this. Frank, um, obviously, uh, we've got Lyndon Arthur and Dex Spellman uh, coming up, and we've got Carl Frampton's fight announced as well, um, which yeah. is going to be shown on the BT Sport platform, and because that's one of your fights as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We've got some good quality fights we've announced, and... Uh, I'm really, you know, I'm really looking forward to uh, to all of them. I mean, it, it's, it's it's been it's been a it's been quite boring without the boxing for me. Mm. And uh, we, you know, we had a good show with Brad Foster, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. This was a good, a real decent little show tonight. Some good young talent there, and uh, some great stuff coming up. And then we're going to announce our next tranche of shows, um, hopefully next week, for September. So is that still going to be within the studio, Frank? Are you going to keep it centralised in that boxing bubble at BT Sports Studios? Well, at at the moment, that's that's what that's what the game plan is because you know nothing else is being said to to that, that allows us to out of him yet. But with the government changes, Frank, all these changes that are going on all the time, you know, you don't have to wear a mask in a pub, but you don't, don't in a restaurant, but you're doing a supermarket. Surely, at some point soon, you're going to be allowed to get three thousand people in the O2 arena. Surely. Yeah, you may do that. You may get the 3,000 people in, in the 20,000 seat, or 19,500 seat arena. But that's going to look awful. Mm. They're not going to be able to sit next to each other. Mm. You know, you've got to spread them all around the arena. So that, that in itself, I mean, you know, it's like looking at a half, half full arena. Mm. Well, you've got 3,000 in there. Well, you're enjoying it too much watching from home. You know that. You're well, into- <laughs> well, yeah, you've got to think about it. If you, you know, if you've got a meter diff- a meter dis- distance around you, mm. you're sitting seat. That's not just either side of you. That's in the front of you and behind you. So that, out of those, you know, that's, that means there's only twenty percent of the seats can be sold. Frank, so would you would you be looking for a, a live audience on October the twenty fourth if Dubois comes through his next fight, which we we're sure he will? Du, uh, Dubois versus Joyce. Would you want a live audience for that? And if so, how Gotta many be. would you how Gotta many be. how many would you want in the O two? Well, I'd want it full, but you know. <laughs> 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 All right, I'll rephrase that the question. That was a silly question I'll for a promoter. You realise that? Rephrase the question. How many do you think will be allowed in? <laughs> I've got, I've got no idea, but I've got to be honest with you. If it, if it's something like twenty percent, then we'll postpone it again. Right, so that's very interesting. It, yeah, it's got to have a live audience. Mm. You know, as much as I'm watching this, st- you know, I was, like one of the, the earlier fights on there, one of the one of the kids on there, you know, Burke, Burke, uh, Burke he said that Chris Burke, you know, yeah, yeah, and, and Harry Turner, they missed the audience, and they, and that mm. gets a bit more out of the guys. And if you've got a competitive fight like you know, with Daniel and Joe, you want them there. You want them, you want the crowd cheering their man on. You want that atmosphere. You want them, you want them responding to that. And, you know, and Spencer's a fighter. He's, he's felt the crowd. He was a popular yeah. fighter. You can feel the crowd lift you. They get a bit more out of you and, uh, and create more excitement. You know, that's how it, how we need it. I don't want it in a sterile atmosphere, you know, or a, a sterile venue. It needs a crowd. Yeah, I've actually boxed in an empty arena actually as an amateur when I was boxing for England against Italy, and it was it was really it was a horrible horrible feeling. And I didn't perform to the best of my ability, and I think that these big fights, Frank, you do need the crowds and you need them in quite a big way. 
you do. I mean, you know, you, you know, when we got a big, when we normally got a big show on, we we'll have twelve, fourteen fights on it. So the guys start earlier in the afternoon or, or early evening or fighting. There's no one there. There's no atmosphere. We all know that, and they're all they're all there. Mostly the people for the big, big fights, but the big fights do need it. It needs the atmosphere. It just needs it. And, you know, we, we tried last week. There was a bit of crowd. I, I noticed tonight with it. There weren't no crowd um, noise. noise. On there. But you could hear 65 people clapping in the studio. Because that was the, the sound of 65 people, the limit there that you're not going to be a number of. Uh, clapping, you could hear them clapping when the uh, when the ring announcer um, said, give, give your appreciation. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, and I'm not too sure about it. I, I, I quite... I thought the crowd noise in the last show... I Didn't thought, work. I thought, I, I thought it did work. Oh, OK. Me. They only used I, it for a couple of rounds, though, and then they switched it off, didn't they? Yeah, but I thought it worked, and, and I thought it just I thought it just gave a bit of an ambience, and, whereas, you know, this, you know, this hollow sound sometimes is, you know, which it is for all sports. Mm. Do, do, you know, do you know, on that point, last night, Bellator had their first fight back, Frank. Um, and, and my producer's Ed's try, trying to get me to get rid of you, but I want to keep you to the top of the hour. Um, and I appreciate you being with us tonight and because I know it's been an incredibly busy week and we always appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us. Last night, I'll tell you what they did what was interesting at the Mohegan Sun Resort. They put draped curtains, uh, really big curtains around um, the entire cage uh, as they do in Bellator Mixed Martial Arts and you couldn't hear any echoes which I thought was mm. interesting and they also had boom mics for interviews I think we're going to see development the whole time Frank if we're behind closed doors for a really long time well we are I mean, you know, it'll have to revolve but having said that I, I think on screen I mean, you can't do nothing about the crowd. It is what it is. But on screen, I think BT have done a fantastic job. Correct. I think it looks good. When I look at, you know, I've seen Bob's shows in the States. I've seen some stuff from various other places around the world, Germany and so forth. You know, guys all sitting like, you know, six metres, or was it, you know, three, four metres back wearing masks on a table. Mm. I think it's a terrible background. That studio looks brilliant. Mm. I mean, it looks fantastic the way they've done it. And, uh, you know, and the, and the you know, uh, the, the, the you know, Mossy and uh, Jim Bentley, the director, I think they've done a fantastic yeah. job. I, t I tell you what, we, we've got the monitor here and they have cleared away the entire ring already. Frank, isn't that incredible how quickly they can do it? I mean, I used to work in those studios and they've just got that central... Uh, pillar there now it's completely gone uh, that's amazing they can put it up and set it uh, put it up and, and take it away so quickly that is efficiency well that's that's what we have to do mike good is good at good at that you should give his phone number to your producer <laughs> exactly <laughs> and, and 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 going forward are you going to let us down there to do some commentary as we open up well, I hope so. I mean, you know, it's, look, it's all about, it's all about it's, it's not just about what we want. It's what the insurance company allows. Mm, it's, what, mm. it's what BT's BT's uh, human resources and so forth. You got in this day and age, all you you've got to be, obviously we got to be better safe than sorry. But it's all about ticking boxes. Frank he, Frank Gareth's very very excited about getting back into live commentary. He was excited about coming in here this evening as well. It's well. the first time we've been in the studio for eighteen weeks, Frank. You know, hey, so it's exciting well. for us as well. You know. Well, it's good. I mean, I'd like to get to one of my shows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, um, listen, as Grand... I, 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 could, I could even, do, could even uh, do an interview tonight because the Wi-Fi went down here. <laughs> <laughs>
With the impending Matchroom card coming up this week, the first Matchroom card for almost five months, I caught up with Eddie Hearn and he ran through the card that he expects to delight the nation. Headlined, of course, by Ted Cheeseman against Sam Eggington. I believe the only way this sport can get to where I want it to be is via a single entity controlling the sport. And I've had a, you know, bit of support, bit of stick over the last couple of weeks where I said, I'm that guy. And that's my aim. And the only way I can make boxing up there with a Premier League, with NBA, with Major League Baseball, and back to those glory days, is to be that entity who, you know, wants to take away the politics of the sport. Yeah. Just do what you should be doing, which is making the best be the best. I mean, you know, just keep blowing smoke up Dana White, but how nice is it to be able, imagine being Dana White and you sit there and, and I know it's not just as easy as right, you're fighting you, but it's not far away, do you know what I mean? Where you can be able to be in a position where you know the fights you want to make. Like, I know the fights I want to make in boxing, but you can only make them 20% of the time. In women's boxing, I can make them 90% of the time. Yeah, yeah. But when I look about that single, you know, that singular entity, if you like, I think I can do that in women's boxing a lot quicker than I can in men's boxing. That makes sense. And, I, makes sense. and I've proved that as well. You know, like, although Amanda Serrano pulled out the Katie Taylor fight, all of a sudden, seven weeks to go, probably the biggest fight out there, Katie Taylor, will you fight Delphine Pursuna in the rematch? Yes. Pursuna, yeah. you re- yes. Done. Obviously, you're looking ahead now to, you've got um, a week and then you're really busy for a month. You could be the busiest month of your life, your working life, this, because there's going to be all kinds of things going on. I know you're at home doing it at HQ. Well, but I'll, I'll be in the hotel. I mean, I'm at... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, obviously, Ted Cheeseman and Sam Eggington, mm. they're both really up for this. They're going to put on a real war. You could just feel it. Um, Ted Cheeseman in a brilliant place mentally after a few little collapses last year. And he's a lovely fella. You wouldn't mm. think he was 23 either, would you? Do you know what I mean? He's... He's 23, is he 23, 24? Sam Eggington's 25, 26. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And you think about the fights they've been in. They've been around forever. No, Gareth, when you talk about narratives and storytelling, the way that you grow a fighter, the way that you grow a profile of a fighter is to create that storyline, or not even create it, just expose that storyline to people like you guys. And you look at it and go, wow, what a great story. When you talk about Ted Cheeseman's recovery as a, as a gambling addict, you know, and into rehab. And the fact that I can't tell you, like, you know, I don't speak to Ted Cheeseman every day. I go to the gym in Brentwood. I see him, you know, he comes in here. He's very close to Tony Sims. No one around him knew of those problems. Can we just clarify what it is? Because I went to the gym and, and I was, went to see Connor Ben and, and Nigel Ben, like, last year. I went to do an interview with them for Talk Sport, I think it was. Or it was the Telegraph. And Tony said to me, you wouldn't believe about fucking Ted. Mm. You wouldn't believe about Ted. He's only put his, he only put his whole purse, Everything. His whole I mean, look, purse it, it was, on a bet. And he's, yeah. and he's just about to have a child, or he's just had a child. That is a serious problem. We yeah. know Ted. Ted's lovely. But, but it, was, it, was only after the Sergio, yeah, it was only after the Sergio Garcia fight 
at the O2 when he lost on points. And he, boxed With his, and he, and he just used his head, didn't he? Yeah, he did didn't... terrible that night. And no one could really make out what, you know, he came back he, in the changing he was, he was letting himself get hit. It was weird yeah. to watch, wasn't it? And then he came back in the change room and he just broke down yeah. to Tony. And he just, he just blurted it all out. And it was like, I can't believe it. You know, we almost felt like, yeah, it's hard to say we've let him down, but it was... You want to no, pay him again? Did you want to pay him again? Did you want to pay him again? No, I, we, you know, Tony then said, I'm going to, you know, look, you, you never, especially at that age, you know, a young fighter, he was making good money, he was headlining the O2, but now, you know, Tony will probably have something in place where there's just, or, or particularly in the early days when he was recovering. So look, I'll hold this, you know, we'll pay it's you here. Here's yeah, your money. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, he went, there's some really good people, not just Tony Sims, but people around Tony Sims down at that gym who funded Ted in the Tony Adams clinic, you know, and he went there on, you know, you, you got, people can set this up for you, but you've got to want to do it. He went there off his own accord. And you know what? I think when he came out, I think some people feel like these problems are solved quicker than they actually are, you know? And I think after a couple of months, he sort of said to himself, yeah, I'm fine now. I'm clean. You know, I don't need to gamble anymore. And he didn't, but he still had many demons. Then he boxed Kieran Conway. He, he was unlucky that night. He should have won that fight. Then he went and boxed Scott Fitzgerald. I thought he boxed fantastically against him. I thought he won it by a round. Yeah, a lot of people did, you know. And I think now that period in his life is behind him. Yeah. You know, and I think he's been able to actually park that to the side. You know, the experience he has now, the pain that he suffered in and out of the ring has matured him as a young man. He's very mature now, Ted. You know, when you talk to him, as, like you say, as a 23-year-old, he doesn't strike me as a 23-year-old. He strikes me as a 40-year-old. You know, he's got his wife and kids and all that kind of stuff. So I just think that we, we may really see another level to Ted Cheeseman. And I think Sam Eggington has also got the bit between his teeth. But this fight is really epitomises what fight camp and hopefully the new era of boxing is all about, which is the fight doesn't really make sense for either of you, <laughs> but everybody wants to see it and the opportunity is there for you to get paid. And by the way, if you're good enough, if you win, you move up that ladder and up that board. And if you don't, you will get another opportunity, but you might get less money, might be a tougher fight. But that's where I want to get to because so many times I've, I've been guilty of it as well, but managers have been extremely guilty of it. They don't want to take risks. Right. And what Fight Camp has showed me is actually, even if it's not Anthony Joshua, you know, there are fights, British title fights, European title fights, domestic fights, that if they're high quality, if they're exciting, then the content's good and it's going to be good for the sport. And I think that's what you're seeing in fight camp, particularly in week one. You know, we go live next Saturday, the 1st of August. It's a brilliant card. And I, sometimes you put something on paper that you look at and you go, wow, and it doesn't materialise. And I think if it does, the momentum that we're going to have is going to be fantastic. And I think I really feel like this period that we've, we've suffered for the last couple of months could end up changing the sport. We've got to be harder with the fighters and we got to be harder with the managers particularly and we may you know you may see me letting fighters go you know you may see me not extending contracts you may I have to have that line you know we've got to make sure that you're well treated you get what you deserve but we just can't afford in this environment to put bad fights on 
or pay you a load of money for a poor fire. You're plotting and planning to continue these events through the year, but you're also looking at the O2 Arena already for November and uh, October and November for Derek Chisora, respectively, Derek Chisora and Alexander Usyk, Anthony Joshua and um, Kubrat Pulev. Um, potentially with, at the moment, with crowds of 2,000 to get well, crowds in. I don't know if I got the wrong end of the stick with that, but that's... You ran, yeah, you ran with that headline the other day, Gareth. You know, it's not unusual for you to run with a headline that might not be true. But, um, <laughs> but, but what I said was, is, and it's right in some respect, is that we may be limited to the numbers we can have in an arena. That might be 2,000. And what we would need to do is create some kind of environment, some kind of seating where those premium seats would be a lot more expensive than they would be if you were in the top tier of a normal NC Joshua fight. Because you know, the Kubrat Pudev against AJ could generate, I don't know, five million quid on the gate. So if all of a sudden there's no gate, it's quite a big hole mm. in, in the budget. So what do we do? You know, do we reduce purses? Do we you know, have a smaller environment and the seating prices are a little bit more expensive? I'm hoping that by the end of November, December, we can do the 17,000 in the O2. Unlikely, but we've started that process with World Snooker, which is our event, and we had that as a government test event. Now we're exploring plans to get you know, 200, 500, 1,000 into the O2, into York Hall in September, probably for Joshua Bwatsi. And then as we go into October, back to Cardiff and Newcastle, we hope that things start to move. But the only way you're going to get it is if you start pressing it. You, know, you can't just wait for everything to happen. That's months of work yeah. to show people the seating plans, the exit rows, you know, track and trace, you know, everything that keeps the local council happy, everything that keeps the government happy. But now we have that relationship with them. The next step now is say, okay, well, that's subject to that working well in August. We also have a boxing event in September. This is the seating plan. This is the, the, you know, the strategy of how this one would work. Do you approve that? And the answer will be yes, subject to the test events going on. You know, but then we go 500, 1,000, 2,000. And like I said, for AJ, we might only be allowed 2,000. Touch wood, we'll have the whole arena. But interesting times, my friend. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Great stuff from Eddie Hearn there, uh, the most enthusiastic promoter in the world. Well, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. created waves last week when they announced that they will have an eight-round exhibition bout on September the 12th in Carson, California. I spoke to Spencer about that fight. Here's our verdict. It's one I will be watching. It shouldn't be happening, but I'll be watching it. I'm starting this new league called Legends Only League, eight rounds exhibition called Frontline Battle. Me and Roy Jones. He dominated. Dominated. His legs are huge. His thighs are huge. His arms are huge. His neck is huge. You better get on top of your game. You want to get him back in front of these people? It's very risky, yes. But God is in control of all. I was beating everybody in every weight class I was in. What you going to do? It's like David and Goliath. He's a giant monster we know, and I'm little old David who only has God on my side, <laughs> which is only all I need. Well, the great youngest ever heavyweight champion of the world, Mike Tyson, will make his comeback. It's an eight-round exhibition bout. Um, with Roy Jones Jr., both massive legends of the sport. But, of course, Iron Mike Tyson, um, 25 years ago, was the most famous sportsman in the world. No one didn't know his name. He was a wrecking ball, rising star in the heavyweight division. He won the world title age 20 against Trevor Burbick, took him two rounds in Las Vegas. He took the world by storm. He'd come from the streets of Brownsville, He'd, he'd been adopted by Customato, this great trainer, this amazing story. And I think he was exploited in a lot of his career, in my view. Um, it was He was an extraordinary character to watch. This peekaboo, bouncing, wobbing, bobbing and weaving style against super heavyweights of the time, Spencer. And, you know, I think there's an awful lot of nostalgia around him during lockdown. And mm. I... I'm going to say this. He shouldn't be coming back 15 years after he quit on his stool, but I will be watching. 100%. I think the world will be watching. As you said there, Mike Tyson in the 90s was the most feared man on the planet. The way he was going for his opponents was incredible. The way he knocked out Michael Spinks, Tyrell Biggs, Pinkland Thomas, you know, these guys, Frank Bruno. Yeah. He was he was a phenomenon. He was probably the most famous man on the planet exactly. at the time. But his rise and his fall was in such a short space of time. Everyone remembers Mike Tyson as being the youngest ever world heavyweight champion at 23... Uh, at 20 
20 years of age. Do you know Mike Tyson, when he, when he lost to um, Buster Douglas was only 23 years of age and that's when it was started that was the beginning of the decline of Mike Tyson and we saw him sliding down it got worse and worse he lost it he started losing he lost to was it Danny Williams yeah he, he lost to Danny Williams to, he, he well, lost yeah. to Danny Williams he lost to Kevin McBride I mean these guys really no disrespect to Danny Williams who's a great fighter and a good friend of mine and no disrespect to Kevin, Kevin McBride but them guys wouldn't have been allowed in his dressing room <laughs> to tie up his bootlaces <laughs> and that's a fact you know so the decline of Mike Tyson then and that was some 15 years ago as you said I can't see how he's even proved. And then he's fighting a guy, Roy Jones Jr., who is arguably the greatest fighter of modern times. Talent-wise. Talent-wise. Yeah. yeah, who went from middleweight to, to heavyweight, heavyweight, of course. Yeah. And then when he come back down was the decline of him because he was never the same. Yeah. You know, he lost to, to Antonio Tava. He got knocked out. And then that was a decline of him. And, and I find it very sad with Roy Jones Jr. as well that actually he carried on fighting until he was 51 years of age. He went over to Russia. He was getting beat. How sad was it watching Enzo Macronelli knock him out, this guy that was so great? Yes, do I want to see it? Of course I want to see it. Who wins? I think Mike Tyson will be too big. I really do. But we'll Jones, has been, Jones has been more active. Well, I think we'll all be tuning in for uh, Tyson versus Jones Jr. on September the 12th. Here's what Dan Raphael had to say about what's been happening on cards in America recently and also the untimely and sad death of the brilliant man and trainer, Nazim Richardson, who, of course, was instrumental in the career of Bernard Hopkins. He hasn't fought for 15 years. Uh, you know, he got knocked out in three of his last four fights. You know, he, he had said to myself in interviews and plenty of other people that were covering him at that time that he really had no interest in fighting anymore, that he admitted that he was doing it for the money. He had said to me on a number of occasions, and I think to other reporters as well, that the last time he really had his heart in it, that he really was there, like, you know, with a, with a full focus in terms of his mental preparation and his physical preparation, really was through the, the, the first two fights he had with Razor Ruddick. And after that, in his mind anyway, is where he felt like it was the decline. And, uh, you know, he carried on for many, many more years because he liked the lifestyle, because of all the money he was making, and he had mountains of debt to pay off, uh, you know, to the, especially taxes. And, you know, what else was he going to do? Mike Tyson wasn't going to go you know, become a, a, a doctor, a candidate. He wasn't going to go teach school. He wasn't going to become a, you know, a dentist. He's a boxer, and that's what he did. He's a fighter. And, uh, you know, now he's, uh, you know, he looks like he's in decent shape, but, you know, I had this conversation with Bernard Hopkins a, a couple of weeks ago. He's like, I could show you videos of me or any other top pro on the mitts, and they're going to look like they're killers. It's a whole different ballpark when you get into the ring because the mitts don't punch back. And, uh, you know, Roy Jones, maybe he may be degraded, but he's going to punch back. Can okay. you clarify, Dan? Because um, um, I've got conflicting reports. Are they going to wear head guards or not? According to Andy Foster's comments, who is, and Andy Foster is the head of the, or rather the executive director of the California Commission, they will not wear headgears. Okay. That's what he said. Now, you know, they'll wear the 12 ounce gloves. They'll have three, you know, about three minute rounds. It'll be eight three minute rounds. There will not be judges, so there, if it goes to the eight-round distance, there won't be scores rendered. The only way there'll be a quote-unquote winner is if there's a, you know, a stoppage uh, or you know, a, you know, a knockout or, or a TKO. Ray Corona, who is a well-known California referee, is going to handle the assignment. And um, you know, 
I was, I, I saw some people complaining on uh, social media that there's not, that there may not be a, you know, people want to, they want to wager on this. It's a, it's a betting thing, obviously, yeah. but if you don't have judges and there's not going to be a decision rendered, you know, how do you, how do you make bets on it if there's not an official decision? So people were talking about like, you know, they need to get some, you know, some judges on a, in an unofficial capacity who are qualified to do it, or maybe some it's media members. Be a draw do, then. Like, the old, I see a draw you know, then. Newspaper decisions, you know, you know, or could be, or could people just bet on someone winning by stoppage, someone winning by KO? Because listen, Dan, I know for a fact that I know this yeah, is a boxing, e- this is a boxing exhibition, but I know for a fact I am Mike Tyson. When he gets back in that ring, he's going to want to go out there, and he's going to want to. He might want to, but can he? No, he, can't. he might want to, but can he? He, he, he can. He for, can't. He can for the first minute, yeah, and then go. that's it. Dan, that's what Dan was saying well, this week. You think he's got a little period, don't you, Dan? Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of, the, I won't say controversy, but that's sort of where the disconnect is. You have Andy Foster, who's in charge of the commission that's regulating it, saying they're going to get in the ring, they're going to move around. I've talked to them. They're not supposed to go in there and try to take their heads off, give the, give the fans a show, but don't go for the knockout. And I'm like, okay, because it's an exhibition, they're 50, but hold on. And now I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking on the phone a few days ago to Roy Jones for an interview for a story that I'm writing, and, and I asked Roy, and I read him the comment from Andy Foster, and Roy literally laughed like a belly laugh. And he's like, you know me. When we go in the ring, Mike Tyson's coming there to kill. I go in there, it's kill or die. You know, you, you've seen Roy and Mike fight for, you know, 20 years. They're not guys that go in the ring looking to move around with their opponents. They're going in there to do damage. And so if you, if you have the regulators saying no damage allowed and the, and the fighters are saying we're going there to take care of business, and, you know, and, and Andy Foster saying at the slightest hint of, uh, you know, if it gets too rough, Ray Corona knows when to stop it. If there's a cut, we're going to stop it. You know, you better make very clear to the buying public which this is. What are you doing? Is it just to move around the ring and put on a little bit of a dance? Or is it let these guys go at it because they're similarly, similarly matched in terms of their ages and, and all that sort of stuff? So, you know, if you charge the public a big pay-per-view price and you don't let them fight, there's going to be, you know, chaos in the streets, it seems to me. Dan, um, I just want to ask you a couple about a couple of other topics. Um, uh, Spencer and I haven't touched us on this tonight, but I want to ask you about the boxing that's taken place in the last couple of days in America, but also the passing of Nazim Richardson, this brilliant mm. human being, a fantastic trainer, a man we all spent time with, mm. trained um, Bernard Hopkins, of course, famously, a man from Philadelphia who who came out of the streets and grew in wisdom as his life went on. And he passed away yesterday, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I mean, it was, uh, I woke up, uh, the first thing I saw when I, when I turned my phone on, when I got up, was I had a text message from Bernard Hopkins telling me that Nazim had passed. Everybody called him Brother Nazim. Uh, and uh, it was very sad. I mean, like you said, he, he was a great uh, boxing guy filled with wisdom, um, was the longtime assistant trainer to the late, great Bowie Fisher, who was a Bernard Hopkins' trainer. And then when, when, uh, when he passed um, you know, Nazim took over and became uh, Bernard's trainer and, and was with him for most of the rest of his career. You know, he had had a stroke a few years ago that incapacitated him to a degree. He over, they thought he was going to die after that stroke, but he was able to actually come back to the point where you're still able to train fighters and also be able to, uh, you know, you, you know, you wouldn't, if you didn't know he had a stroke, you wouldn't notice it in his movements or his speech. Um, and, and, you know, Gareth, you and I talked about this. In boxing, everybody backstabs everybody. There's always bad things said about people behind their backs by all kinds of people in the business. You don't find anybody saying bad things about Brother Nazim Richardson. He was a good man, a wise man. Uh, and besides his work with, with Bernard Hopkins, which obviously is the most famous client, he was the trainer for Steve Cunningham when he was, you know, was a cruiserweight world champion. 
most famously, I would say, is he's the man who was the trainer for Shane Mosley uh, for some fights, and he's the one that was in the dressing room during the, the pre-fight, the, the first yeah. fight against Margot. Yeah. He's the one that down the hand that, that made them rewrap, and, and then one of them to rewrap the other one. It, he was so famous for that that other boxers who didn't use him as a trainer hired him to, to go and be there to observe hand wrappings of their opponents at times. Um, you know, he had two sons that were professional fighters. One of them, Rock Allen, was a United States Olympian. Uh, you know, so he, he had you – could, you could talk to any young fighter, old fighter in Philadelphia. They all know Nazim Richardson. They all respect him, and everybody in boxing respects him. He was a wonderful guy, and, you know, he didn't sugarcoat stuff. He told you what he thought. You know, he was not one for, uh, you know, to give you the BS line. And, uh, you know, he was just a class guy. Yeah, Dan – Virgil Ortiz, he was in action last night. What did you What did you make of him? What did you make of that? Performance? And how big is he going to be? Well, Virgil Ortiz is the next big thing as far as I'm concerned. I mean, this is a kid that at the end of 2019 I had as, as my prospect of the year. He's now 16 and 0 with 16 knockouts. He has one of the best trainers in the sport, Robert Garcia. And and you know, for a young fighter like Virgil, who's only 22 years old, at the last minute he was told that Robert Garcia was not going to be able to be in his corner last night because Robert had had a positive COVID-19 test. Now, thankfully, he doesn't have symptoms, and he then later tested negative. But because of the protocols in California, he was not allowed to be in the corner. So Virgil's father, who's obviously been with him his whole career and his whole life, he was the one that headed the corner. But you know, that's a big deal if you're a young kid like that, and suddenly at the last minute, you know, you can't have your your trainer, that's sometimes a mental thing that you have to deal with. But he came through with flying colors. Samuel Vargas was the opponent who's been in the ring with some good opponents, including Amir Khan and Errol Spence and Danny Garcia. And Virgil Ortiz took him apart, basically battered him for seven rounds. Didn't get any knockdowns, but you know, because Vargas is such a tough guy. But he was just absolutely laying the leather on him severely when uh, Jack Reese, the referee, stepped in and stopped it right near the end of the seventh round. I mean, this is a kid who's now 16-0 with 16 knockouts. He's knocking on the door of a championship. Uh, you know, it's a matter of, is anybody going to give him the shot? He, he may be the kind of guy they have to get into a mandatory position before he gets that opportunity. He was saying he would love to fight uh, Errol. Um, he, the two names he mentioned after the fight were he would like to fight Keith Thurman or Danny Garcia, who are two, obviously, of the top, you know, handful of welterweights out there, both former champions who faced everybody. But, you know, he has, you know, massive, massive upside. He's a dynamic fighter. He can punch with both hands. He's technically sound. Um, he's just, he's a, he's a force yeah. right now. David Diamante has flown across the pond and will be doing his uh, announcing for Matchroom for their four cards that are going on in uh, the headquarters of Matchroom Sport in, uh, in Brentwood. And uh, this is what he had to tell us about how he'd got into announcing and why he always says the names of the boxers twice. I'm in the bubble. I'm in the bubble. Yeah, it's going to be more than a month because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one weekend, actually, today. I'm one weekend to my quarantine. Um, so I've got seven more days. I haven't left my room, man. I'm inside my room. That must be difficult for you. That must be difficult for you. David, can I ask you a question? You said you haven't left your room. Now, we know... This is Spencer, by the way. We know that... Um, you love a cigar. I know you love a cigar because I've meant to have smoked one with you for the last couple of shows, and for one reason or another, we've not got quite got there. But anyway, does that mean that you're smoking cigars in your room? Are, you know what? We're we're live on the air. Are you trying to get me in trouble? <laughs> of course here? we are. <laughs> blow up my spot. Come on, man. Listen, all I'll say is this. Brilliant! Listen, listen. Um, we, uh, um, you, there's a fantastic story 
about how you became a ring announcer. And also, famously, you say the name twice. Can you tell us, you know, because loads of the fans know you. They they know the, the, you as the cigar guy. You've got this amazing um, dreadlocks. Like, it's almost like a, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's almost, does it go in a suitcase when you travel? Because it's so big. How do you get through customs with that? I, mean, I do have to check them in. They're actually, I have to, I have to pay extra. You know, because they're over a certain do, weight. Do, so yeah, I have to. Do, do, do you have to get their? Do you have to get their own seat for that as well? Because I mean, that's a lot of hair, man. I have to get their own seat. <laughs> oh man, Spencer and Gareth, I miss both you guys, man. I can't wait to see you guys. Yeah, well, yeah, we're not yeah. even allowed in until the Alexander Povetkin Dillian White fight because you're going to be there announcing, and we're going to be reporting on it from afar. Because well, well Spencer, no, I'm there for the oh. week. Actually, I'm coming in from the 17th. I think I believe that I'm there. For for the week, just doing a bit. Well, of the real media news. isn't allowed in. Then let me say that. <laughs> um, no, but David, right, tell right, us. Right, right. Well, tell us about your how you. Be- tell us how you became a ring announcer, and 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 why is it that you announce everybody's name twice? Well, you know, just the long and short of it is, uh, you know, like us all, I love boxing. Um, I did it for a while, and I figured I'd just be a better announcer than than boxer, and I think that's for sure the case. And as far as the as far as the the double surname, I mean, the truth of the matter is, you know, I really believe what these fighters do is just incredible. Um, they're not they're not you know mere mortals the way these guys get in there and put it all on the line. And I just believe that they deserve to have their name said twice. I mean, a lot of times that first time you say the name, the crowd is so loud it kind of drowns out the name, and the second time it just cuts through. And it's it's a very classic way to do it. They used to do that way back in the day at Madison Square Garden. And, you know, I used to love that. And it was something that they, they kind of really only did in boxing. And I just, uh, I really loved it. And I wanted to carry on the tradition. Yeah, I remember talking to you, David, about this, actually. Because I, I think I asked you the question once, why you announced it twice. And it's it's the history of, of boxing out in, in New York, isn't it? That they announced, that was, it goes back a long, long time, generations, really, that they announced the name twice. And you carried on that tradition. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, guys like Johnny Addy uh, and and uh, Mark Biro and Ed Darien and all kinds of these, these old ring announcers that I used to watch, uh, they used to do it, and I, I always loved it. And when I came up watching the fights, that's how they did it. So to me, it, it seemed like the correct way to announce boxing. And from the very beginning, when I first started, that's how I did it. Uh, I never even thought twice about it, no pun intended. And, uh, you know, it's kind of become this, uh, this thing now. So it's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. Um, one of the things we've talked about tonight, David, is, is the fact that um, for the boxers... Um, they're not going to have a crowd there in, in, in Matchroom Square Garden, as I call it, yeah. Um, is it going to affect you not having a crowd there as well? Are you going to have to get yourself up in some way to... Because, you know, you're a very important part of the announcement of this because we're literally all watching this on television, and especially when it comes to to the pay-per-view later on in, in next month. Well, that's a great question, and, you know, Gareth, there's one thing when we do really big shows, you know it, I know it. I always look at you. You're right there in the press, and you see me, and you say, "Make it sing, baby." Correct. And I always love that. <laughs> I, I always love that. It gives me that extra little, you know, 
that twin to really get me hyped up. Um, it's brilliant because you actually me, look for my face now when you when I'm down at the radio or in the front row of the media, and, you, and you're waiting for it. And I cannot. I love it. That's what the, the friendship we have. These little indents are so funny, aren't do you, they? Do you know what I love there? When you was actually saying that, David, and you were saying what what you say. Gareth was sitting. Gareth was sitting here miming it as you said it with a big smile on his face. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 But but I love it. it. It makes my night. You know, you're like, make it sing, baby, and and that's that's it. I want that arena to just be singing. You know, and so it's going to be different. It's going to be different. But nevertheless, I mean, when I started doing this, you know, close to 20 years ago, I've done fights in front of you know 20 people. <laughs> Thanks to David Diamante for joining us there. But we went back to the States then to talk to Chris Eubank Jr., who is now training under the auspices and the guidance of Roy Jones Jr. I am in Pensacola, Florida um, with Roy Jones. I've been out here for the last four, four and a half months training with him. And You've uh, been getting him ready for the Mike Tyson fight then, yeah? <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, obviously that's only just been announced. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be helping him prepare. You know, sparring with him, training with him, and um, yeah, this is a, it's, it's a very surreal situation we're in now. I, I never thought I'd ever say that I'm helping Roy Jones prepare to fight Mike Tyson, but it's it's happening. I was going to say, Chris, what's that like being out there with Roy Jones, and now you're going to be helping him prepare? We're talking about. You know, Roy Jones Jr., was, we were talking about him earlier on in the show, and he's like, you know, in recent times, he's probably the greatest fighter of recent times. What's that like? What sort of, what's that experience like? I mean, it's, you know, however good of a fighter he is, um, I, would, I would put him on the same level in terms of being a trainer. He is, um, he's amazing to be around. He's amazing to learn from the, the wealth of knowledge that he has. It's, uh, it's it's unrivaled, really, in, in in my experience. You know, being in and around gyms around the world and, and being around trainers, he is the best I've ever come across. <clears throat> and um, you know, I've learned so much just being here in this short amount of time. Um, so yeah, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a long relationship me and Roy are going to have moving forward. Um, you, you know, I've spoken to you personally, and and you know what I've written and broadcast about you. I think you're an incredibly tenacious character. The DNA that you the, the, that you've grown up with, that's in you, in your blood, Chris, um, makes you a dangerous prospect for anyone you step into the ring against. Are we seeing you cultivate and curate? some of the things that people want to see from a technical standpoint so that you are not just that fearsome character in there that wants an all-out war, but someone who's going to use technique a little bit and strategy in some of your fights as well. Not that you don't, but a different kind of strategy. I definitely think being around Roy, listening to him, learning from him every day, um, it is bringing out a more technical side to my game, um, you know, in terms of boxing IQ, I think I, I've grown levels. Uh, I've gone, I've gone up in levels, you know, big time since I've been out here. You know, just just the mental aspect of the game, thinking about what you're doing, um, strategy, uh, you know, defense, everything. You know, you just you're forced to 
you're forced to really think about what you're doing and 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 why you're doing it. You know, it's not just going to the gym every day, punching bags, punching guys in the ring, getting strong and fit. You're 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 you know you know you're, you're working on things that you need to do to become technically sound, and um, that's you know that's something that I my training has has been missing over the years and um, so yeah it's, it's definitely a great thing that I'm out here now with him well our thanks to Chris Eubank for joining us from Pensacola Florida then we went to Australia to speak to Ebony Bridges get all of this I absolutely love the British fans um, you know even more now like I always love British fans in general like um, I knew that they were big boxing fans um, and I've been to some fights with British fighters in the U- U.S., um, like the Fury Wild fight, and I've just seen how crazy they are. And I'm like, I need me some of them fans. So, um, yeah, I mean, and now I've got some, and I'm loving it. I just can't wait to get over there. Like, it's literally, like, the, my first to-do after COVID. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm raising money for it. <laughs> Well, well, one of the funny things is I, I spoke to Eddie Hearn this week and I had him on the show earlier and he yeah. was saying that a few years back, um, Katie Taylor said, to quote him, slipped into his DMs. It's time for you to slip into the DMs of either a Frank Warren or, a, or an Eddie Hearn and get yourself oh. a contract over here. I'm not joking. I've watched um, you for um, a while. You have the personality and, and the kind of uniqueness and, <laughs> and, 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 and just ability to do things. You, you've, you, know, you don't mind using your sexuality to sell yourself yeah. as well. Um, you know, and, and you know what you're doing. You'll go to to weigh in in a bikini. Heather Hardy does it in bikini, MMA. Lingerie. In lingerie, <laughs> rather, sorry. Or, but but whatever it be, you can use whatever you want. And I guarantee you, exactly. if you get over here, you will be a massive star because people yeah. are ready for different things. If Conor McGregor yes. uses his Irish nouse and his gift of the gab to be a big star in the UFC, why can't you use your lingerie to get more attention at a weigh-in? Hey, hey, you're preaching, man. That's what I'm talking about. But it's true. You know what? Firstly, I slid, I, I slid in um, Eddie's DMs a long time ago. Um, so I don't know what he's doing. Um, and, you know, I've been in some talks with some people. But, but you know, I'm doing my thing. Um, I'm, you know, um, I don't need a promoter to promote me. I'd be great. But I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying, you know, self-promotion as well. And, and I do understand that, well, firstly, when I came into boxing, I knew that boxing was 90% males you know and i knew that i have you know something that males like and i thought you know what like why why should i not not really it's not really so much self short it's like it's like i'd be silly not to kind of like play in it all and use it and i'm that kind of personality i love having a banter i love chatting with the boys i love having a joke like you know that's just my personality and um and i i don't want to i would never want to change that or cover that up to come across more proper or or whatever I mean, like, you know, I, I think there's enough kind of boring women out there that, I'm, you know, um, this is an entertainment sport. And if my personality and who I am and what I'm comfortable being and doing is, is entertaining, then may, it's better for me because it means I don't have to be, you know, be careful of what, really what I say or, or what I'm doing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I am a school teacher, so, you know, you'll, you won't see me um, just walking around in bikinis and posting up, you know, um, photos of my body just for fun. It's always is in in um, context. You know what I mean. But um, you know that's that's enough. We don't really need to anymore. Like <laughs> why? You know. So and plus, um, 
I think the banter, I think my banter scale is going up. I did a poll quite a while ago on my Twitter um, because obviously my, my following grew exponentially. I thought, why are these guys following me? I want to find out. And um, I put a little poll up and um, said, you know, why you follow me? Is it for the boxing, the bands, a perv, or all of the above? And I was quite upset that my banter only got 4%. <laughs> That's brilliant, brilliant. Ebony, you you have been getting a lot of attention, especially in lockdown. Actually, you you, you sort of you, your social media presence has, has yeah. risen. Um, you got a lot of British fans over here. You box as a bantamweight. You're four and zero. Oh. Yeah. When are you yeah. looking at boxing again? Will you be coming over to England at any point? Will oh. you be trying to get a contract over here? What's the future yeah. plans? Man, I can't wait to smash heads again. Honestly, like that's just like what I want to do. Like uh, you know. Um, it's good. It's good for me, you know, with the COVID and the social media, um, um, having that time off, you know, and downtime to be able to, you know, connect with fans. And I do that, you know, I try and do that as much as I can, anyways, because I love a laugh. Um, but yeah, I definitely want to get in there, um, throwing down again. I mean, there was plans of getting a fight here in September in Australia. I'm just waiting to announce it because um, everything's kind of in limbo because of COVID. So I'm still training for it. I'm hoping for it, but, you know, it's very hard. We can't announce things because it's, it might not happen, you know. So, um, and there's also another opportunity in October here, obviously. Um, so I am looking to hoping to get one fight at least um, this year, and it will probably be in Australia. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I want to head over to the UK ASAP. Like, you know, um, uh, it just depends on, you know, if a promoter wants to put me on. If not, I mean, I'll be heading over there myself. Um, just to check out the UK and check out gyms and check out my fans and meet and greet. Like, that's the kind of stuff I want to do, you know. Like, these guys, like, my followers and my fans, like, I honestly love them all. Like, they're, they're, they're all good value. Um, you know, it's never, it's, 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 you know, I don't get much slack. The only slack I'll get is people that don't really get it. Ebony, yeah. Ebony, you're 32. Okay, I'm sorry to say your age as a lady, yeah. but um, <laughs> That's okay. but you you, you I only look 21 though, right? You do. You'd look fantastic, <laughs> and and Spencer and I have been admiring all the pictures of you that we've been pulling up on the internet. But the, but, but 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 let's talk you about you and everyone else. But let's exactly. But no, but as I said, there's look. Um, male boxers have extraordinary physiques. Why shouldn't female boxers have extraordinary exactly. physiques that we enjoy? And look, look you, I see women drooling ringside at, at the physiques of male yeah. boxers. There's nothing yeah. wrong with it. Look, um, your, your Mate, body. I do over AJ, like you know. Really. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the, the, and your body is your tool at the end of the day. Now, in in, in I, this, I worked hard for it. Exactly, and and and. But just tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, you know, as I say, you're 32. You were a maths teacher. Yeah. Why didn't how did the how did the evolution come that you suddenly decided to go pro because it was only last year so you know it 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 yeah. hasn't been there all the time was it you decide you matured enough and you thought no i've got to just go for this this is what i want <laughs> how did you grow up were you playing other sports what's your background uh, yeah well um pretty much i started karate when i was um 5 i did martial arts for 8 years um doing that i got my black belt um, and then when I hit high school, I was like, you know what? Um, I want to do something a bit more aggressive. So then I went into kickboxing and Muay Thai training. However, back then, you know, we're talking like late 90s, uh, you know, 2000s, early 2000s. Um, women, it wasn't legal for women to fight in Australia. Um, or especially, there was only one state and it was all modified. So um, I was just training. I wasn't able to fight in kickboxing. Um, and then, um, you know, obviously I had... A, you know, full-on teams. I um, got into a lot of fights 
<laughs> but, you know, and a lot of things like just, you know, street stuff. And um, then when I was 18, um, I had to kind of change my life around because I wasn't going in, in a good direction. So then, um, yeah, I had my family that helped me out. And then um, I got into bodybuilding and I started bodybuilding and I, it was a bodybuilding and that kind of just put me on a straight and narrow, you know, like I didn't drink or do anything for, you know, like eight years, um, you know, very disciplined with bodybuilding. I was, you know, state, regional, national um, champion, did international comps. So that was my life for my 20s. And then um, I kind of felt like I achieved everything then. And I thought, well, what do I, what do I really like doing? Like I've always, like most of my, half of my life, I've liked just smashing things and punching people and stuff. So I was like, okay, well, why not do what I, what I love? Now that we can do it, it became legal in 2008 in all across Australia. Um, and at that time I was obviously still bodybuilding, so I couldn't do it then. And I was like, yeah, sweet. Like, you know what, this is what I love. Um, you know, I've been a massive boxing fan myself my whole life. I've, I grew up with, um, you know, watching uh, action movies and boxes. Costa Zoo was my hero in my in my teens. You know, I even dated the guys with Costa Zoo haircut. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, so I've always been into boxing. And, and first and foremost, I'm a boxing fan. Wow, what a fascinating young female fighter Ebony Bridges is. Well, that's about it for this week. My thanks to Spencer Oliver for joining me on Fight Night. Uh, we had a rollicking time. First time back in the TalkSport studios for 18 weeks because of the coronavirus pandemic lockdown. Keep subscribing. Keep listening. We're back next week live. We're going to be back every week from now on. I'm Gareth Davis, and you've been listening to the Fight Night podcast for TalkSport. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.